IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Well, welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And Kirsten, we often say it's the only podcast you'll find today on Apple Podcasts that has the word IntelliKey and has the idea of leaders seeking their soul's potential. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of exciting when something like that drops in. <laughs> well, and here we are moving into season three of the podcast, and we just continue to talk to great leaders. Today, we're so happy to welcome our guests, Troy Carter and Patrick Lung. Troy, Patrick, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Great to be here. These are the co-founders and co-executives of Earthshot Labs, and they're building technologies for what they call planetary scale ecological restoration. Guys, we have to start there. Troy. Yeah. So I don't think I need to convince anyone that human beings' relationship with non-human nature is in a moment of challenge. A moment of crisis. We see this in news about climate change, but more than just global warming, we are facing multiple systemic collapses in species, biodiversity, in oceans, in soil, in forests, and we need to do something about that. And one of the reasons humans are actively degrading nature is because we pay humans to do it. So we need to change incentive structures so that we actually optimize for the state of the world that we actually want to see, which is ecological harmony and regenerative livelihoods for all people and food security and indigenous land agency and, and a lot of the things that we all know should exist, but right now we haven't designed the systems for. Give us some background on what you're doing at the company. So Earthshot Labs is a company that was founded with a pretty broad mission. And so we're doing three things. The first is from a thesis, if we can measure it, then we can incentivize for it. And so what we're measuring is nature. So we're building a global open source ecological simulator. So that means many different partnerships with academics, universities, and NGOs, and a whole community of people that are building a simulator to better understand how nature works. So this is for forests, soil, biodiversity, water, and an integrated model so that we can measure nature. And once we can measure in a quantitative way, just some of the effects of different interventions on land, we can go build policy around it and inform landowners, investors, and government officials about what we should actually do to go do land restoration. The second is, okay, so we've got these great big machine learning, AI data models, but actually we already have a lot of that science that's been done but it's just not accessible. Like there's no way to actually use it for ordinary people who maybe have 10 acres or want to get involved in a meaningful way with the climate crisis. So we're building a platform called LandOS and an app called Biome. And LandOS is exactly what it sounds like. It's an operating system for land where you go click on your parcel or country or landscape level. And it tells you a lot of different potential interventions and the eco logical and financial outcomes that can result from that. So particularly around reforestation, water restoration, and avoided deforestation, so not cutting down tropical forests, and, and then how to get paid for that. So through carbon credit markets, 
and in general, optimizing the productivity of land. And the third thing is what well, we realized, actually, it turns out the climate crisis is not a software problem. It's actually like trees and water and soil and whales and, you know, like real animals and plants that are dramatically more complex than we can ever possibly model in a computer. And that the, the intimacy with land is, is really important. Like actually indigenous peoples and peoples intimate with their land for many generations know a lot of things that we can't possibly know about their place. And so we're also doing on the ground operations, starting with a 14,000 hectare reforestation project in Panama to build a model for land restoration that is an investable asset class so that we can start governments and corporations and investment banks can actually go start directing a lot of money towards this problem and do it in a way where we can, you know, monitor exactly what's happening, but also do it in a way that acknowledges like the sensitivity and intimacy with land that people's had for a long time. So scale the parts that we can scale and then empower people to inform the system about what's really important and actually how we go restore land in a way that's in alignment with the sacred protocols of restoring land. So that's what we're up to. What a beautiful experience to walk through. I, I'm excited that this is what you're putting out in the world for us. How far off is something like this? I mean, you start speaking of working with governments and working on different platforms. Not everybody's going to buy in, right? Because there's only a few that control the land and the water. I mean, that's, I, I love that you're doing this, but how far off are you from starting to get buy-in from the money? Patrick. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's actually happening a lot faster than we thought it would. We basically started sort of thinking, well, certain things like going out and really look to raise a bunch of capital and get going with this at a really large scale. We didn't expect it to come this soon in terms of doors opening and in terms of making connections with other groups that can open a bunch of other doors for us to really potentially onboard a lot of, of land onto these carbon marketplaces and facilitate a lot of really large-scale restoration. And so the project that Troy mentioned is just the beginning. We have a whole portfolio and a whole kind of pipeline of projects that are, that are like that one in Panama. And the world needs this. We've also reached a tipping point where, if, in case you haven't noticed, the past 12 months, the price of carbon has tripled. And that's a reflection of the importance now that people place on this, on this restoration and on this countering this, what essentially is the greatest challenge that humanity has ever faced. Uh, in multiple dimensions, both in terms of its global scale, as well as in terms of the manifold challenges involved in actually addressing it. And so people are starting to wake up to this at the individual level. We've seen a lot of people joining our community saying, how can I help? How can I redirect my talents and my skills and experiences to help with this challenge? And also at the uh, global scale, in terms of countries making pledges and really getting serious about their obligations under the Paris Climate Treaty and so on and so forth. So we see change accelerating and happening everywhere in the world, and we're very privileged and happy to be a part of that change. That's terrific, Patrick. And I'm curious, you know, we often think about doing well and doing good, that there is a, a economic benefit, there is an investor return to some of these things. It, can investors reconcile those two things? Is this a good investment financially, and are they going to expect returns, or are we simply doing this almost charitably or out of the call for improving the environment? So in my previous life before Earthshot, I worked for a couple of years in a hedge fund, and I learned a lot there including the fact that the investment world is changing. There is a big shift towards ESG, environmental social governance. 
And this is coming from the grassroots. This is coming from pension funds and sovereign wealth funds and other academic endowment funds. People that really value nature and value social justice and value the things that truly bring us happiness and peace. And this is starting to kind of infiltrate into the into the world of finance, where all of a sudden it's like, well, what's our ESG strategy? And I think that um, certainly there are some groups out there that are kind of treating this as yet another checklist to try to meet, but there are others that are taking it extremely seriously. And so we're very excited by some of the doors that we're opening uh, in some of the most surprising places where big financial organizations and big companies that maybe in the past have done a lot of their share of polluting and you know emissions and so on are waking up and realizing they cannot survive without this, without getting on board. And more generally, we do believe that ultimately there is no difference between doing good and doing well, and that our entire economy needs to shift to valuing nature instead of treating it like a resource to be mined. And we will get there and we are getting there. And we're, again, we're very happy to be part of that and catalyzing that change. And Troy, I wanted to echo something you said about uh, that it's not just a technology or software problem, that we're actually going back to the roots, you know, back to ancient traditions and understanding of the relationship with the land. Kirsten, I know this is something near and dear to your heart. What is the connection between, and we call it soul's purpose, but I mean, are we realizing now that there is a soul's purpose? that maybe technology can help with, but it goes deeper than that. I love that question, Mark. Uh, I'll let you in on a secret and everyone else living or listening to this podcast. We, we didn't actually start Earthshot to solve climate change. Even though that's what we're telling everyone we're doing, we actually started it because of a love of nature for its own sake. And so essentially, secretly, we are optimizing, restoring human relationship with non-human nature. That is a multifaceted, multi-generational problem. It goes into many dimensions around money, around culture, around land, and to just to recognize that is a sacred journey to be on. And actually the people that we attract to be a part of the company and be a part of the open source research community, um, they also feel that like, hey, this is actually part of my calling for this lifetime. And this is part of the role of human beings in this time is to restore relationship with nature. It turns out that the climate crisis is actually an amazing wake-up call where suddenly corporations and governments are willing to throw a lot of resources at solving this existential problem. And we can use that crisis as an opportunity to actually solve some of the underlying causes of climate change, which in many ways have to do with nature itself. Right. It's not about direct air capture or about sequestering carbon from the atmosphere only. Right. That's sort of just one dimension of ecological harmony, because whatever, I can quote a lot of statistics around the ocean or biodiversity loss, but we all know that there's something that's gone a little bit wrong. And actually, it's not that hard to change it. We just have to have slightly different incentive structures. And so what we're doing as a company is saying, okay, what are the high leverage points to use technology just to change those incentives? And meanwhile, yes, there can be sort of a spiritual and cultural evolution in parallel to that, but we can't like rely on everyone waking up to ecological consciousness all in the next couple of years. We should also just design systems that are in alignment with our vision for what a beautiful world looks like and then people can participate in that. 
And for, for ourselves, like, and just on, on a very personal level, I know Patrick had sort of a similar experience of coming to a moment where this is just clearly what we do next. And having had, you know, a career in technology and finance and working in areas where actually we can now build bridges because we're, we're actually not judging oil companies or judging finance. Like these were necessary sort of institutions because they've existed. They've given humanity so much interesting, complex development over the past century. It's just that things need to change now. Mm-hmm. And so we need to build bridges between what has been and not stigmatize what has been, but include. And so just the same way that our backgrounds coming also from industries that have been good and haven't been good to use that skill set to, to build a bridge to the world we want to see. I love that you pointed that out because that was one of our questions for you, (laughs) right? Is how has your experience with these larger companies impacted where you're going in this journey? The question I have for you is you're speaking about the evolution of the human species. We being part of nature and we also, I mean, we're innate. We are nature. We're living on earth with earth. However, we historically, we've taken more than our share, which is how we have gotten here rather than taking what we need and walking lightly on the earth. How do you drive your finance and technology backgrounds and then still have this very soft expression of the love of our earth and the communication of that? How are you finding the finance world and the technology world embracing that? I think it's important to remember that things like technology and finance are tools. They're just things that we've made up to help make life easier. They can be used for good and for quote, bad things. Take a sword, for instance. A sword can be an instrument of destruction and killing, or it can also be a beautiful sacred ceremonial object that represents power and tradition, even one's relationship with spirit, such as it is you know, in medieval Japan and so on. So machine learning and private equity and big tech planetary storage and cloud systems. These are all just tools too. And we're, I guess you might say a bit of an experiment where we are infusing these things with love. So we wanna create a loving investment fund. We wanna create a loving ecological simulator that really is a reflection of nature and embodies our love and desire to celebrate nature within the technology. We want our app to be the most beautiful app in the world so we can inspire people to get out there and you know appreciate nature, measuring trees and recording birdsong and all these kinds of things, finding beaver dams. These are all things that we want people to do with our app with joy okay. as a way can of celebrating. We, can we ask for some whale sounds while you're in there? Those are one of my favorites. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will add that to our feature list. To our, to Thank our you. There you go. That's the minimum viable product right there that we need. <laughs> well, guys, this is fantastic. Our guests are Troy Carter and Patrick Long of Earthshot Labs. Troy, how can we connect with you and your company to make sure people can find you and follow your work? So the easiest way is just to go to our website, earthshot.eco, or just look up Earthshot Labs. And there are all the links that you need about the research community, ways to join the Slack channel, ways to find a job. And then over the next six months, as we release more products, including LandOS and Biome as a way for landowners, policymakers, and investors to engage, as well as Biome, which is just a way for everyone on earth to be a citizen scientist and contribute meaningfully to understanding nature. So, you know, join the mailing list and we'll let you know when those are out. 
Great. Well, let's make sure we capture Kirsten's question. I want to be, uh, learn how you're leveraging, springboarding your experience from other companies and building an organization. We've been talking about the planet and the finance community. What about the people who are joining you and your team and your yeah. collaborators? The level of cultural will that we're seeing among people who just want to contribute and don't necessarily know how. It's not like, you know, someone who's a machine learning scientist or just someone with a technical or non-technical skill set just suddenly, oh yes, here's how I can contribute to the climate crisis. They don't necessarily know how to do it. But the desire to participate in this movement is, it's, it's almost universal. It's not like we go and talk to people at parties and they say, oh, this isn't, this isn't necessary. It's actually like everyone realized, oh, wow, thank you for doing what you're doing. This is clearly what's needed for the planet in this time. And we're also seeing that momentum among people who want to work with us. We're hiring a lot of people right now and building a team also that represents culturally how we want to interact with each other probably all of us on this call, like we've all been a part of organizations and I have never been a part of an organization that I'm like, this is it. Like this is the true expression of human beings living their purpose with a lot of passion and heart where we can bring our full energy into the workplace, like our emotion and personal lives. You know, we are comprehensive human beings that don't just have this segmented self where we are our work selves and technologically competent and then our personal selves where we're allowed to be emotional with our intimate partners or something like that. No, we need to be able to bring our whole selves to this mission in an integrated way. Otherwise, it's not going to be fun. You know, we're going to get burned out. So we're, we're gathering a group of allies that's funders. And we've seen so much demand for funding this company and employees who, I don't know if we're calling them employees, but like whatever, co-workers in this mission and also just partnership, whether it's from corporations or governments, there's so much will to contribute because I think people can feel that there's something real about this, right? That because... Okay, on this call, we're basically explicitly languaging ourselves as this is like a sacred mission and we're restoring nature. And I think that's okay, you know, and it's okay because we can back it up with a level of technical rigor and financial expertise and, you know, world-class talent among the people that we hire that we can be extremely idealistic in our set of values because we can pull it off. So that's the bar that we're setting is we have to build a bridge between deep technical expertise where we can actually go do what we say, a level of like soulfulness and humility and connectedness and relationship that honestly is more important. You know, if, if we don't run a company that represents our values, the impact doesn't matter. Like it's not worth saving humanity from the climate crisis if we don't do it in a way that's very beautiful. Yeah, it's got to be all three. Well, guys, thanks for sharing the story, Patrick and Troy. We've been uh, so happy to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. We look forward to following. It's been a real pleasure. Kirsten, I think back as we uh, think about our previous guests who have connected us with the land, I think of Dallas Gagel, Richard Wagner, Gigi Staffney, Brandy DeCarly, and now Patrick and Troy kind of add another chapter to people who connect us with the land. How do you thread some of those thoughts together? And what are your takeaways? Oh, the very first takeaway is even for myself and my own personal trajectory of my career, coming at, from a CFO of public companies and even telecommunication companies and energy companies, watching myself evolve where I, you called it the segmented self. 
they're no longer, there's no longer two parts of me, you know, the shamanic steadier and then the CFO. So that bridging. And I think that's all of these guests have talked about this, where we don't have to hide our truest essence of who we are. It, it can't happen anymore for these initiatives. I really love technology because it's been my entire career. And I do agree. It's the people that have potential to either really do something great with it or not. And that's the soul's potential of all initiatives. So seeing, I think, what was the word you used? Deep technical expertise. I know that's music to Mark's ears, right? <laughs> we have to have something real and tangible to be able to make it happen. And we can still have very sacred ancient ways that are inherent and embodied in everything that we are through action, not through words. And Absolutely. that's what I heard today. Well, thanks for that wrap up. And listeners, uh, continue to come by our podcast. As you can tell, we are bridging this spiritual metaphysical world with the world of finance and ESGs and other investment ideas. Where, where do business and spirituality meet? And that we feel that's what IntelliKey is about. And so we're going to continue about how they're reaching their soul's purpose, their human potential in business and in life. For Kirsten Gouldy, I'm Mark Stenson for IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintelliKey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.